right, it's time for another Master Passive Income Show. My name's Dustin Heiner, and I help people quit their jobs by investing in real estate rental properties so they never have to work a job again. See, I quit my job when I was 37 years old by investing in real estate rental properties, and that's what I want for you. I want you to never have to work a job again. See, when you invest in real estate rental properties, you have cash flow coming in. You have money come in your pocket every single month without you even working at all. Now in today's show, we're gonna be talking all about financing your properties, how to get money, how to find money, how to use other people's money to start building your business. Now I know financing is one of the hardest parts of buying real estate. I mean, if anybody had just a million dollars, it would be easy to go out and buy a property, but not all of us do have that much money. I started with only $10,000 in my pocket and that's how I started. So I wanna show you how to do that as well. All right, guys, now let's get into the show where we talk all about financing our rental properties so that we can start our business and grow it even bigger using other people's money. All right, let's get in there and start the show. Welcome to the Master Passive Income Podcast, where we talk about all aspects of real estate rental properties with a special focus on making enough money so you can quit your job and live the dream life. And now, here is your host, Dustin Heiner. All right. Now, as you know, I am on a 3,000-mile trip, a four-week, 3,000-mile trip with my family. We are currently in Atlanta, Atlanta, Georgia. We're traveling all over the East Coast. We were in Florida, went into Georgia, South Carolina, went back into Georgia, and I'm actually in Atlanta right now. We're going to go to some many great things. One big thing I'm really excited about, we're going to go to the world of Coke. It's like a, I don't know, a Coca-Cola plant. I love Coca-Cola, and I, I may be a little too much. That's why I'm a little heavier than I should be. But we're going to go to the Coca-Cola plant, taste and see, and all that good stuff about the Coca-Cola world. And we're so excited to now eventually go into South Carolina again, where if you notice anything about the geography on a map. If you're going from Florida, you can get into Georgia, but pretty quickly get back out into South Carolina. So since we started on the coast, we went from Florida, Orlando, drove along the coast and hit up Savannah, Georgia, which was beautiful. We absolutely love Savannah, Georgia. And then we went from beyond there. We kept going and we went to Hilton Head in South Carolina. Man, that was beautiful as well. It's so, it's so different. We visited two different forts so far. One was Fort Pulaski, and that was a fort like back in the, the uh, Revolutionary War, the Civil War, and all that sort of stuff. That's what was being used. Now it's just like a you know a national monument. And then we went to Fort Sumner, and that is a tiny little island. It's not, I don't know if it's even a little island. I mean, it's so small, but it's in South Carolina. Then we went to see downtown South Carolina, but now we drove back into Georgia. So you went from Florida, drove into Georgia to Fort Sumner at the very, you know, close to the little bottom end of it, and then drove all the way back into Atlanta into Georgia so we can see all the great things in Atlanta. Then we're going to be driving back out. Apparently, there's this huge, huge mansion that's called the Biltmore State. We're going to go check that out today. We're also going to go see the Billy Graham Library on the way. I think there's a chocolate factory that we're going to go and taste a bunch of... I'm a chocolate fan, Um, but we're going to go into a chocolate factory. We're also going to go... We're going to see so many great things along the way, eventually going all up to New York, 
and see New York City, take the kids all over that, then come back down into Washington, D.C. And the last week is going to be in Washington, D.C., spending an entire week there. Hopefully go see the Bible Museum, go see the mall of all the presidents, you know, the monuments and everything and all the museums and all that great stuff. So it's going great. But what's fun is I'm actually recording as we go throughout this trip. You know, it's a a four-week, 3,000-mile trip, but not everywhere is conducive to podcasting. So I literally have a bed sheet over my head underneath the computer and underneath the microphone because there's so much echo in this room. This room's huge that we're staying in and we're going from place to place. But anyways, so we're doing, we're having a great time. We're doing a lot of fun things and this is what I want to see for you. Now, I love to travel, but I'm curious, what do you love to do? Do you love to have fancy cars? Do you love to have big mansions or big houses? Would you love to just not have to worry about paying your bills again? So what I wanted to do was I wanted to be financially independent. I didn't want to have to worry about anybody giving me a job. And I want to be able to make my own money and not have to worry about somebody firing me or taking away my job. So what I started to do was I started investing in real estate rental properties one by one. And then now I'm able to do the things that I love. Now, imagine if you did not have to worry about bills ever again. You know, if you were able to get money every single month that comes in, and hopefully if you're like me, your expenses are pretty low just because you're frugal. And as you're getting all this money coming in, your bills are paid for because all the money comes in. You don't have to have a job. You don't have to go to drive for Uber. You don't have to do anything like that. You can do whatever you want. Now, if you wanted to buy cars, if you're a fancy car person or just a car person in general, or if you just need a car and you want to buy the car that you want as opposed to one that you need, rental properties can do that for you because you are making money every single month and you are not relying on somebody else saying, hey, you're only worth this much per hour. You're working one hour and I'm only willing to give you $20 an hour or $25 an hour or $10 an hour, whatever the, whatever they you're contracted with your employer to, for them to pay you. That is how much you're going to get paid. Well, with rental properties, it's not that way. You are the person that sets your income level because as you buy another property and then another property after that, what happens is you're the cap on how much money you can make, not somebody else. So if you want to make more money, keep buying more properties. Now it's going to take time. Remember, this is a get wealthy plan. It's not a get rich quick scheme. And here's what I want to do for you. I want to give you access to my workshop for free. It's where I'm going to teach you how to start investing in real estate rental properties, buy one property after another, and then eventually quit your job. So go to freeinvestorworkshop.com. Go there, learn everything about real estate rental properties, and I will continually show you how to invest in real estate rental properties with the show, with my articles, being on, on my newsletter. I'll be sending you so many great tips that you should be able to get started right away. All right, now today's show, we're going to be talking all about financing our rental properties. And getting enough money so that we can buy our first property. Since you are an investor, as soon as you made a decision to become an investor, you are now an entrepreneur. And what entrepreneurs are great at, I wouldn't say great, not necessarily great, they have to make themselves do this. They have to be problem solvers. They have to see a roadblock coming and figure out options to get around, jump over, dig underneath, whatever it might be in order to get past the problem. Because if we let problems stop us in our tracks, like finding financing for a certain property, like we find a great deal and, oh no, it's a good deal, but we can't find financing for our normal ways that, well, I don't have cash, I can't get a mortgage right now, and oh no, I'm done. Well, if we stop there, then we let opportunities pass by us because we are not figuring out ways around these roadblocks. Now, like I said, as an entrepreneur, 
You are a problem solver. You are there to solve problems because problems are always going to be coming in this business. No matter how you run your business, what you do, you know, once you, I mean, everybody knows, once you get tenants, you're going to have problems when you have tenants. Well, I have property managers that manage that, but that was a problem that I solved. I figured out that I don't want to work and (laughs) actually manage properties. That's why I hire property managers to do the work for me. You are now a problem solver. Being an entrepreneur and investor, you are now a problem solver. Now, not everybody's going to have cash. They're not going to have means to, you know, like a, a big loan or anything like that. But we're going to go through all the different types of financing possibilities so that you will be prepared so that when something does come, you're going to a deal. When a deal does come, you're going to be able to jump on that deal and not let it pass. Because the last thing you want to do is let a deal pass by you without you having the ability to buy it. Now, I want to go through the different types of ways that you could finance your properties and give you some tips and strategies on each one of these. Now, I'm going to tell you that the easiest one that everybody knows about is a mortgage. (laughs) Really, a conventional mortgage. A mortgage that you would basically... Put a down payment down. Now, the down payment is basically a percentage of the total purchase price of the home. So if you're going to be buying a home and the home is worth $100,000, if it's worth $100,000, you got to put 20% down. This is just round numbers. I'm going to show you ways around these. 20% down is $20,000 that you're going to have to put down as a down payment, which means your loan will only be $80,000. Now, if your loan is only $8,000, you're only paying interest on that $8,000 and so on, but you have to come up with $20,000 or 20% of the price of the home. That's a lot of money to come up with. $20,000, I didn't have $20,000 When I first started, so I had to get creative and find another way to buy it. But when you use a mortgage to buy a property, what you're doing is you're borrowing money over time. And what happens is you are paying off the interest first. So if you get a 30-year mortgage, more than likely, you're going to pay twice the amount of money for the one property. So if you're buying it for $100,000, in total, after all the 30 years is over and your mortgage payments are already paid, you're probably going to be paying close to $200,000 or more total for the property, even though you only bought it for $100,000. So that's the way that the mortgage works. And basically what happens is interest payments are paid up front. So let's say your payment is $1,000 a month for a certain property. And from that property, you're paying in the initial, the very first few months or first couple of years of that, you're only paying like 15% of that $1,000, $150 is going to principal payments. 85% of the payment, so $850, goes to interest. It'll go to interest paying. And so what happens with mortgages is that they front load all of the interest. So in the beginning, you are paying interest, loads and loads of interest. Towards the end, it flips to where like the year 29, you're paying 90% towards principal and only 10% towards interest. So you are basically front loading all of your interest. And here is the big reason why banks want you to always refinance your loans. Now, I'm not going to say don't fall for refinancing because refinancing is fantastic. I've refinanced, pulled cash out of my properties so many times to then buy more properties, which then helped me to make more money. It's fantastic to be able to do that. But what happens is if you start the clock over by refinancing, you know, a 30-year clock, if you start it over again, then you are basically paying that interest up front all over again. So if you've already paid five years off on that mortgage, you refinance into another 30-year mortgage, it only put down, let's say, 
maybe 5% or 4% total of the principal knocked down. So if you paid $100,000 for that home, maybe $4,000 is taken off. The rest is all went to interest, even though you've been in it for that long or you had it for that long. Now, what happens is when you start that clock over again, you start with the highest and most amount of interest in the very beginning all over again. So you start over with a 30-year loan, you start over paying 85% into interest and only 15% towards principal. It's only till the end of the mortgage that you finally really start making payments towards the principal and knocking it out. Now, there are plenty of different type of loans out there, a 10-year, a 15-year, 20-year, 30-year now, I personally love 15 years when it's my own personal residence because it knocks out the principal faster. But whenever I buy a rental property, I like to buy them in a 30-year mortgage. Do you want to know the reason why? The reason why is because it keeps my payments lower, the mortgage payments as low as possible. Now, being as low as possible, it puts more money in my pocket. And here's the reason why. When I rent out the property to somebody else, they pay me rent and that rent goes towards the mortgage. Now, what happens is the mortgage is deducted out of my income. So if I make $1,000 a month in rent, but my mortgage payment is $650 because it's a 30-year note, well, then that's left over $350. You know, I could use the rest to pay off my property manager, taxes, insurance, and all that good stuff. And so by doing that, by having a 30-year mortgage, my monthly payments are lower. If I have a 15-year mortgage, the monthly payments are much higher, which eats into my passive income. And as you know, you've been listening to this podcast for a while, we only invest in cash flow. And here's the pro tip. You want to make $250 or more in passive income every single month so that you have that money to live on. Now, if you have one property at $250 a month, well, that's $3,000 a year that goes towards your family and all your expenses. But Let's say you had 10 properties making $250 or more a month. That's $2,500 a month coming in as passive income. Wouldn't that change your life? I know it absolutely changed mine when I started making $2,500 a month from my 10 properties. Now, that's what you want is now to start multiplying your properties over and over again. So if you have $2,500 coming in every single month, that's $30,000 extra a year coming into your pocket as passive income. Then on top of that, if you had 20 properties, that's $5,000 a month coming in, $60,000 a year in profit in your pocket. Now, it's not counting income tax and things like that, but that is profit going in your pocket. Then you got to pay Uncle Sam. You know, Uncle Sam always tries to take your money. So that's why I try to go for a 30-year note on all of my properties. Try to make sure that payment is as low as possible. And like I said, I usually try to get, and you know, when I do have a home loan, right now I currently do not have a home loan because I had a rental property, praise the Lord. It was um, owned free and clear, didn't have a mortgage on it. And so I'm, I'm living in it now. So tenants moved out, I moved in, and we're waiting until we build a house up in Idaho. Anyways, long story short, whenever I do have a property that I'm living in, I usually try to get a 15-year note because payments are higher, which is okay because I still have money coming in from my other properties, but I pay off the property much sooner. Instead of 30 years, it's paid off in 15 years, and the mortgage principal is paid down so much faster. Less is going to interest. So I personally love the 15-year mortgage. I also even have an article on my site, how to get the 15-year mortgage and all the benefits of it. And if you want to read all about that, go to masterpassiveincome.com forward slash 15-year loan, all in one word, 15-year loan. I'll even put it in the description so you can go to find there as well, 15-year loan. Now, 
as we're moving on, see the mortgage that you're going to be getting, that is going to be offsetting your income from your passive income. So you got to account for that. That's if you get a commercial loan, which everybody knows that that's the main way that you can buy a rental property. People think, well, I'm going to buy a property. Let me go get a loan, which I wholeheartedly think definitely getting a loan is fantastic. Now I'm going to give you some tips in how to get your loans. You want to call as many mortgage brokers as possible in the state because once they're in the state and they're, they have licensing and everything to actually give loans in that state, they can lend anywhere in that state. So you want to call mortgage brokers who are in that state so that you can actually get started and talk to them and see what their rates are, see how much their fees are, how much their points are, and all, what type of loans you can do. And what's great about mortgage brokers is that they usually can figure out a way around problems. That's their job. You know, if you don't have enough income, you know, your loan debt to income ratio isn't good enough, they might be able to figure out a way around it. Like that's basically their job is to figure out a way to give you a loan for the property. So tell them exactly what you're trying to do. Don't try to hide anything. Tell them exactly you're getting a an investment property and you want to get as low as interest as you can and you want to have a 30-year note and what can you do for me? And as you're talking to those mortgage brokers, you're going to want to get a pre-qualification letter. A pre-qualification letter, once you've been approved, once they've verified everything, once they say, hey, yes, you can get a loan for this certain amount, get that pre-qualification letter because whenever you put in offers, the seller is going to want to find a proof of funds letter in there. Now, proof of funds, basically, if you're buying with all cash, you just show them your bank account and, hey, I got the cash. But if you're buying with a loan, they want a pre-qualification letter to show that you are able to actually go through with the process because they don't want to take the property off the market in the hopes that you have money. They want to know that you have money so that they're actually going to sell it to you. Now, one thing about mortgages is that the more loans you have, the stricter the credit requirements are. Usually, banks like to lend no more than four properties, but there are banks that will lend you on second properties of five to ten properties, and the total amount of loans that you can have on your person in your name is ten from the IRS. So the credit scores increase, like you have to have more credit scores. Like if you have five to ten loans, in order to get the next loan, you have to have like a 720, I believe it's a 720 credit score or above. But if you have one to four, you can have a much lower credit score. But obviously, the higher your credit score, the better your interest rates are going to be, which makes your payments even lower. Now, you also need to make sure you have plenty of cash on hand. You know, As you get more properties, you need to have cash on hand to be able to make the down payment. Lenders want to make sure that you can make the down payment, number one, but they also want to make sure you have cash reserves available to pay for the property. They want to make sure that you have money in case the rent doesn't come in, that you're going to also be able to pay the mortgage off every single month. That means you have to have enough money for your primary residence, your other properties, you know, being able to pay off all those mortgages. So you need to make sure you have that money in hand when you have more than one property. When you get to four, or actually, when you get into five properties, that is when it's much more stringent. Banks want to make sure you have plenty of money to cover everything. Now, on top of that, the more loans you have, once you get to five and ten properties, you have to pay more in down payment. Now, there are some ways around it, which we'll talk into a little bit, but usually it's 20% down payment. But it can get up to as much as 25% down payment for these properties. And a 25% down payment, if you're buying a $100,000 house, that's 25%, $25,000 that you're going to make up. That's a lot of money. You know that. I know that. And so you need to have more money up front in order. Now, not just having in reserves, which is what the bank wants, but also the money for the down payment.
Also, the banks are going to need to see your W-2 statements. You know, that's your once a year you get that document from your work that you give to the IRS that shows how much you paid in taxes. They're also going to need to see paycheck stubs like the last two weeks. They're also going to want to look at your bank accounts to, you know, a statement from your bank account last two months. You're going to have to get all this stuff to get a mortgage. Now, you're going to have to get this all up set up beforehand. My suggestion is get all this stuff set up beforehand. In fact, call up a mortgage lender and say, what do I need to get the process started? They'll give you a list of all these different things that you're going to need. And it's pretty simple. But once you do it, or this is what I do, I put a folder on my computer It's basically a mortgage packet. So whenever I apply for a loan, I have the most updated information in there. And if I need to update it, I can. But it's a folder on my computer saved that has um, all my bank accounts. It has my W-2s from last year. Well, I haven't had a job for two years, so it doesn't have that anymore. Anyways, I put a folder on my computer that actually holds all the documents that I would need when I'm buying a property with a mortgage or getting a refinance, just so it's easy for me to go back. And as I'm talking to more, and this is the reason why, I talk to as many mortgage brokers as I can because different lenders have different rates. They have different rules. They have different um, lending criteria. They have different everything. And you want to talk to as many as you can. Now, one suggestion I have as a pro tip, you want to talk to smaller banks if you want to get smaller loans. So if you're investing in another state in the country and you want to get a loan for maybe $60,000 because, hey, you're living in New York City and you want to invest out of state, you want to invest in some place like, you know, Ohio or um, Indiana or Memphis, Tennessee or something like that, and you could buy a $60,000 property, well, you may need to look at local banks in the area. Local banks being credit unions, or even small regional banks, things like that. Just look up in on Google or any other search engine and you'll be able to find local banks in the area. Now, what happens is with those local banks, you actually work with the banker himself rather than like Chase or Bank of America or Wells Fargo. You're dealing with a big corporate entity that's huge. Well, you want to work with as close as you can to the person that could not necessarily bend the rules, but they have rules that they go by, but they can make exceptions and say, hey, this guy has a good property. This guy has a good business or this gal has a good um, way to make money. Let me go ahead and lend to her. So a good pro tip would be to get with local credit unions, local regional banks, so that you can find better ways to, to actually get loans from these. And I've even had students that get in contact with these local regional banks and credit unions, and they just keep funding all their properties through those local banks because they have a good credit, a good track record. They keep paying off their mortgage and all that good stuff that lets the bank know that, hey, this guy's a, and actually he's a good lender or a good borrower. Let's go ahead and keep giving him more money to borrow. But what I want to move on to are FHA loans. I get asked this question all the time, like, how do I pay less in down payment? Well, the best way is to get an FHA loan. Now, I'm going to preface this by saying an FHA loan is fantastic. You're paying 3.5% down to purchase the property. But the caveat is two things. Number one, you have to live in there for 12 months yourself because it's an FHA loan is a personal loan. But you also have to pay the PMI, which is the private mortgage insurance that goes to the government. It's just money thrown away. But here's what you do. Use 3.5% down to buy to get the FHA loan, Federal Housing Administration loan. And don't worry, talk to any mortgage broker. They will, every single one of them knows the FHA loan process and they will absolutely get you that. Talk to them, say, I want to do an FHA loan, three and a half percent down. Okay, great. Now what you do is you buy the property, you live in the property for a year. 
who knows? It might be a duplex, a triplex, or a fourplex. Those are all considered commercial loans, which would be perfect for you. You live in one unit, rent out two or three, and you make money while living in your own house. Wouldn't that be great? So you live in that one property for a year, and with the other units being able to be rented out where you make money, and then you refinance that loan into a non-FHA loan, a regular conventional loan. Just refinance. Actually, you might even be able to take some money out to buy your next property, which I've done before. But you get rid of that FHA loan. You get rid of the PMI, which is extra money being thrown away. And then you can go ahead and buy another FHA loan. Let's say you lived in there for a year and you're ready to move up. You know, you have a fourplex. You want to get another fourplex. So you move out of this one, buy your next fourplex, and it's another FHA loan, 3.5% down. And you move into the next unit. And that next unit makes you money. And you have four, so you have a total of eight units. You're living in one and you can do it again. So that's the beauty of FHA loans. Even though you're putting 3.5% down, you are only putting 3.5% down. I mean, it's fantastic. And you need to be able to live in the property for a year. Now, if you're investing out of state, that's much different because you can't actually live in there. So that is if you're going to be able to invest close to you. The next one that I love, like this is the way I buy properties or the majority of my properties now is all cash. I love using all cash and the reason why, I mean, there are many. Number one, I pay less for the property. Because I have cash, sellers look at me like, oh man, this guy has cash, he can close really quick. Let me go ahead and drop down the price. If I go, and the seller's thinking this, if I go with a buyer that has a, a loan, what if the loan doesn't go through? What if the appraisal doesn't come through right and all that sort of stuff? So because I am coming with all cash, they look at me and say, hey, this guy is a for sure thing. Show me the proof of funds. Show me his bank account of how much money he can be able to spend. And we're good to go. So that's one. Get better deals. Get better prices on deals. Number two, it's a very, very fast closing because I don't have to worry about the bank process, underwriting, and all that stuff. I don't have to worry about appraisals because I only invest for cash flow. I know it's going to cash flow because I've already done, run all the numbers. So it closes faster, which is great. Another thing, like I said earlier, I am looked at my offer of all cash offer is looked at much more favorably by the seller because they know that I will be able to get the job done. And as I put the earnest money down, earnest money is basically you're putting money into the title company and saying, if I back out, the seller gets to keep this money. So for the privilege of taking the property off the, the, the market, I want you to be able to hold on to this money, be $2,000 or something like that. So I use all cash. Now I get a lot of students that come to me and say, hey, Dustin, I have I have some money, like I just got inheritance or I have some money or whatever it might be. Now, not all of them do. I get a lot of students who don't have money, so don't get me wrong. We have to work through that. But I get some students that come to me with cash and they say, well, I have $150,000 and I want to start investing. I'm like, well, that's fantastic. Well, the basic thought is if you have $150,000, what you want to do is already start doing the BRRRR method, the Burr method. And so basically the Burr method is to buy, rehab, rent out the property, refinance the property, pull the money out, and then repeat the entire process again. And so I wrote a whole article and even did a whole podcast on the Burr method that I've used ever since 2006, before it was even known as the Burr method. I've been doing recycling my money from forever doing that. So go to masterpassiveincome.com forward slash B-R-R-R-R. It's really simple. So there's one B and then four R's all together. That'll take you to the page where I wrote all about that. What's great is when you have cash, you can even do great deals like seller financing. Let's say the seller needs $20,000 
and they're going to carry the rest. But they need $20,000 right now for whatever business or whatever, you know, wedding or whatever. And then they're willing to carry the note, the seller finance note where you're paying them as the bank. If you do that, if you have cash to pay them $20,000 down, you're bypassing the bank, you're bypassing the FHA loan, you're using cash to get a seller finance deal, which is so much better. A seller finance deal is fantastic. Just settle on the terms and stuff. And I've done that so many times as well. As long as you get a seller that can do the financing, it's terrific. So having cash is something you must have. And here's a tip, but it's not really a tip. It's just common sense. You want to save as much money, put it into a savings account, an investment account that you can touch when a deal comes. Try to save 10% minimum. And then if you can, work your way up from there. Try to save as much money as you can for future investing. And so what I try to do is I try to save my money as much as I can so my bank account keeps going up so that I can then buy a property. I want to basically save up, buy a property, save up, buy a property, and so on. Just keep doing that over and over and over again. And at the same time, I even refinance that money back out and use it all over again. All right. I also use portfolio lenders. Now, a lot of people think, well, what are portfolio lenders and how do you get portfolio lenders? Portfolio lenders are basically a bank that actually keeps the loan themselves, like a local bank might do that, a regional bank, something like that. But instead of selling off that mortgage to a secondary market like Freddie Mae or Fannie Mae, no, Freddie Mac or Fannie Mae, sorry about that, that's a little bit of the tongue. So Freddie Mac or Fannie Mae, instead of selling it to them, selling the loans to them, they actually keep it in-house. That means it's their own personal bank's portfolio lending the money. And so the note, it might maybe have flexible terms, maybe have different standards for qualifying for the loan and all that good stuff. So portfolio lenders are banks. So what I've done in the past is I literally call up banks and say, do you do portfolio lending? You know, if you're calling around to local banks, say, do you do portfolio lending so I can work directly with you as opposed to big banks? They either say, yes, they do, or no, they don't. You'll find that I would say maybe 25% of them actually do. But when you do, they're great, great businesses to connect with, great banks to work with. Next up is owner financing. I love owner financing. As many owner financing deals I could find, I go with them. And the reason why is because I don't have to worry about banks. You know, I just work it out with the owner and how much down payment I need, what the interest rates are, what the terms are. In fact, coming up, I have a property that I'm leasing out for my gym. And I talk to the owner and I'm hopefully going to work out a seller financing deal where I actually buy the property from him, the whole big 16,000 square foot facility, buy it from him at a seller financed rate where I give him, I don't know, maybe $50,000 down payment and then continually make him payments every single month so that he still has money as he gets older and then I eventually get the property. So an owner financing deal is basically that where the owner is financing the property. Now, people are going to ask me, well, how do I get those deals? Those sound fantastic. Well, the way you do, you actually do it is it's hard work. You need to call every single seller and try to find people that are selling. Try to find, like, you need to find the seller before it goes to a realtor. Once it touches a realtor, it's hard to get them to do seller financing because the realtors already want to get their commission and get that sale going. So, Owner financing, you need to go out and knock on doors. You need to be sending out letters to uh, properties that could need to be you know, fixed up or the seller. It, anyways, 
I'm going to pause there or I'm going to, I'm going to hold the odd idea of how to find owner financing deals. And the reason why is because that's a whole ball of wax in itself. Like it's a whole nother lesson, how to do owner financing, how to find owner financing, you know, own, finding one is one thing. It's a hard thing and it's a lot to learn. Then doing it is a whole nother thing. So we're going to pause that and say owner financing is fantastic. Now that's usually when the owner owns it free and clear and doesn't have a mortgage on it, which is fantastic when you find those. But the way I found this commercial property was I was riding my bike down the road and I saw, hey, the, this guy is renting out the place. And I went, rode my bike over there and started talking to the owner. After talking to the owner for maybe 30 minutes, we just started talking about and we hit it off really well. And I said, hey, I might want to buy it. And he said, okay, great. Let's let's talk about that too. So it's really, you got to put your feet to the pavement. You got to walk around. You got to talk to people, not physically walk around, but you need to get out and talk to people. That's the best way to find seller financing. And that's hard to do. A lot of people aren't built to do that. But if you want to do that, if you know, hey, a great way for me to get started is if I have a seller finance the deal. If you're able to do that, man, I'm telling you, that's the best way to go. Okay, another one is hard money. Now, when I used to think of hard money before I got into this business, I thought of like the mafia. Like you go and you go get a gambling loan. Like, hey, I'm going to go gamble $30,000 on, you know, uh, roulette. And so you go and try to make some money, but you lose. And then Jimmy the Wolf comes and passes your knees. Well, hard money is not like that. In fact, it's basically um, private institutions or private, private investors that have money that want to lend their money on a quick time frame. Now here's basically what it works out. You get you have to pay points which are basically percentage of the total loan. Let's just say you're buying a property for $100,000. Well, they might charge you 3 points. Well, 3 points would be 3%, which is $3,000 just to get the loan. You have to pay $3,000. Then the loan is a fast loan. Basically, they want that note or that loan for six months to three years. They don't want much more than that. And you know, they don't want a 30 year loan. They don't want a 15 year loan. But what's great about this is you get into a property and then you could refinance and pull the money back out and pay off that loan. Another thing is you're gonna have high interest rates. I mean, sometimes 15% or more depending on you know how what the hard money lender is actually gonna be charging you. So you're gonna get high fees as well. But here's the thing. If you don't have money to buy the property and to close on the deal, well, then you don't have the deal. But if this is a way to get you in the deal and if the numbers work and you could actually buy it with a loan, refinance it and within six months or a year, pull the money back out, then absolutely that's the right way to go. So hard money lending is not, well, you're gonna ask, how do I find hard money lenders? Well, it's super easy now with the internet. Internet's fantastic. So go to you, Google, Bing, Yahoo, whatever. Go to your search engine or type in hard money lender in whatever state. Like let's say it's, it's Virginia, hard money lenders in Virginia. And you're going to get a lot of people or a lot of businesses that say, hey, we we um, you know have hard money because they want to lend money. When the money is sitting on the sidelines, they don't make money. Now, next up is private money. Private money is fantastic when you have the ability. Now, I know not everybody has the ability. They don't have like a rich uncle they could borrow from or something like that. I would bet that anybody and everybody, especially you, you listening to this podcast right now, I am betting that you know somebody that has money, basically that you borrow it and in borrowing it, be a loan and you'd be paying them monthly for it, you know, an interest rate, whatever it might be. But what it takes is is asking. It's really asking around. So instead of having a bank or a seller financing, you basically get a loan from somebody you know and they, you, you know, you contract out the term, you know, how long it's going to be, how much the interest rates are going to be. And basically the private lenders or private money is somebody that you know. And here's the key. 
You want to network with people. Remember at the beginning, I said, you're an investor, you're an entrepreneur now. Once you made the decision, you're, this is now what you are. So what I strongly suggest is that now you start telling everybody you're an investor and you start showing everybody that you're an investor and then people are going to want to invest with you. You know, I've been doing this for so long that I get so many people asking me, hey, when can I give you money so that you can invest it for me? I'm like, well, you know, we'll have to talk about that. And we actually do. And eventually we work it out. I have so many people coming to me wanting to give me money to invest for them because I know what I'm doing and they know that I do it. So get out there and tell everybody about your investing business. You want more people. The more people that know that you're an investor is the better, which then you can have so many people work with you. Also, home equity loans and home equity line of credit are fantastic ways to tap into your rental property or your personal home, which I've done many, many times. You're basically recycling your money over and over and over again. It's a great way. So basically, a home equity loan is you're getting a loan, a second. You know, there's a first loan, which is the first mortgage. Let's say you buy a house for $200,000, your own personal residence. You paid it down. It's appreciated. And then you take, that's your first loan. You, you owe $180,000 on your first loan. Then you take a second loan, which is the home equity loan. That second loan is, it's the second position. So if you ever foreclose or if you have any issues, the first guy gets paid the second, uh, first, the second guy is paid second if there's any money left over. So the home equity loan is tapping into your equity of your property. And then you use that to buy another property. Same thing or very similar is the home equity line of credit. The only big difference with the home equity line of credit is what I would say is like a credit card. A home equity line of credit is, let's say you have a credit card that's $24,000 in credit limit on that one credit card. You use up all that credit up to $24,000 and then you pay interest on that credit. But as you pay it back down, you don't pay interest because you can get all the way back to zero and not actually be using any credit. Same thing. Think of your home as the credit limit. Let's say you have equity of $40,000 you can use. Well, you have a $40,000 credit card, basically a home equity line of credit that you can use to buy properties. And as you borrow, you pay interest. As you pay it all the way back down, you don't pay interest, you know, if it gets down to zero. So that's the way home equity line of credits go. And that is fantastic for us as investors, because we can use and tap into equity into our property and then buy properties. I've done that so many times. It's amazing how I've grown my business. Another big one is partnerships, working with partners and working with other people to build your business. Now, I, I've talked about partners in the past and what I will say with partners is, and I'll, I'll have more about partners in my show notes. Go to masterpassiveincome.com forward slash 76. That's a 76 podcast episode. So go to masterpassiveincome.com forward slash 76 and I'll have a whole write up there on partnerships. But here's what it comes down to. And what I will tell you is I will never have another partnership. I'll never have another partner unless they're an investor, but they're not a partner. Like we're not working together. You either let me use your money or you don't. Like I don't need to actually have a partner work with me, even in my gym that I'm creating or building, even in my online businesses, in everything, I'm never going to have a partnership. And here is a biggest reason why I will never have a partner. With a partner, you get half of the profits. So half of all the profits that you make goes in your pocket, but you have 100% of the liability. So 50% of the profits, but 100% of the liability. No, thank you. I'd rather do it on my own. I'm old enough and I've done enough where I don't need to. Now in the past, I did. I did have to have partners, but now I absolutely don't. If you could start without having partners, I would strongly suggest that. It comes that, you know, one partner does all the work, the other one doesn't. And usually for me, it was I did all the work. Now, oh, well, no, so water on the bridge. Now I'll never have another partner. So 
If you put all that together, is there's different ways to actually finance your property. You can get creative with every single one of these ways, using hard money, tie that to cash of your own, tie that to seller financing, tie that to whatever it might be, like your home equity line of credit. You can tie them all together, and that's you being an entrepreneur, you being a problem solver, you're going to be the one to say, I have all these tools at my disposal. How do I use these to get the job done? Basically, to how do I get these to buy the deal? All right, guys, thank you so much for being here with me. I really, really appreciate you. You are absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much. Hopefully, you learned a little bit of how you can finance your real estate rental properties. Now, remember, go out and get my free investing workshop. Go to freeinvestorworkshop.com so that you can get into my workshop where I will show you how I built a six-figure automatic business that makes money while I sleep. All right, guys, you've been fantastic. Thank you so much for being here with me. I'll talk to you next week. Peace out. Peace out.